All right, so tonight we're going to be continuing the series on resurrection. Last week, Ken Nix Sr. talked to us um, about Abraham and Isaac and how, I guess that really wasn't a technical resurrection because Abraham did not actually have to sacrifice his son, but he was obedient to the point of sacrificing his son. And so, like Kim pointed out, Abraham had such faith in God that even if he had to sacrifice his son, because of the promise God made Abraham, he knew that he could easily resurrect Isaac and make a miracle happen there and and still bring descendants through his son. And the week before that, um, Kenny started us off with... um, Ezekiel and the valley of the dry bones and how the vision of the dry bones was so symbolic and and they were dead and dry and just not living. But God brought, he allowed them to be brought back to life just like us, just like our resurrected hearts when we're dead and separated from God. But through Jesus, he brings us back to life. He gives us a heart of flesh where we had a heart of stone before. And so that resurrection power is alive in us if we have the Holy Spirit. So leading into my message for tonight, we're going to be talking about a guy named Jairus. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you have scripture, um, we'll have it on the screen. It's going to be Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. I'll just begin by reading. Jesus got into the boat again. Okay, so just for a second, let me go back. Jesus had been, you know, he had cast demons out. He had um, just not long before this calmed the, the storm. And, you know, so people and his followers had been seeing him do great Things okay, just miraculous things. There, there was a huge crowd. When I was thinking about, okay, I'm trying to imagine a crowd that would be so huge that you would be like pressing in on each other. And I thought about Times Square, and I was like, no, really, in New York, I mean, it is crowded, and there are a lot of people, but you can still move around. And I was thinking, where have I ever experienced a crowd so big? that you literally could not move. And I did not have to go back very far in my mind because I just experienced this past summer for the first time. Disney World fireworks at night, okay? Not only are you almost comatose from the day, and you, you along with all 50 million other people stink, okay? And so you're so crowded that you're like this, standing there like, when are the fireworks going to start? I I wanted to sit down, but I couldn't because there wasn't enough room. So anyway, that's the most crowded thing I've ever seen in my life. And so that's what I was imagining in my mind, okay, except long Bible road people. So, okay, so there were large crowds following Jesus. So Jesus gets in the boat to go to the other side of the water, but people are following him anyway. Okay, so big crowd. He got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. 
Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. Okay, so he's going around the lake. The large crowd has arrived, and Jairus gets there, and he is approaching Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So this guy who was a leader at the synagogue, which means he was a, a rabbi or a teacher or, you know, so he was a person that other people went to for, you know, to listen to what he had to say. He was knowledgeable in the scriptures. He, you know, helped lead people in their local church, I guess. So, um, but he recognized who Jesus was and the power that he held. And when he saw Jesus, he went to him and said, you know, have mercy on my child. She's sick. She's dying. You know, we've heard time after time, Kenny talk about his daughter, Kenneth, that passed away and how he went to the end of himself, all resources available. He just said um, a week or so ago that he had some of the best doctors in the world looking at her case. I mean, what would we stop at to help our child? Nothing. We would exhaust every resource possible. So Jairus was like, my daughter is dying. I need your help. And he believed that Jesus could heal her. He had faith in the things that he had heard and maybe even seen Jesus do. And he probably thought, if anybody can help her, it's going to be this guy. I've got to find him. I've got to find him. I, I don't care what it takes. I'm getting through that crowd. And I'm telling you, if it's a crowd like Disney World, it took a lot to get to Jesus in the crowd. Um, so Jesus went with him. So, so he, Jesus heard him. He didn't dismiss him. He, he listened to him, and he was walking with him, okay? So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed crowding around him. So it's like tight. You know, they're like having to shuffle and all this stuff to get through. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. So this lady was sick. We don't know exactly, or I don't know exactly what the bleeding was, where it was coming from, what her deal was, what it was actually, you know, a result of, but she had been bleeding for a long time, 12 years. Okay, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. So here's another person who has exhausted every resource that she had to try to get somebody to do something to help her, to ease her pain, to end her suffering, and she was just desperate. She was so desperate, and she, you know, knew Jesus was near, and you know, obviously had heard of him and, and, and her last resort maybe was that she could just get close enough to ask him for help to, to see if he could heal her. So she pressed in also as Jesus and the man were moving through the crowd. So she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Like she was like, I know it. I just know it. If I, if I can just get close enough to touch his, his robe, I know that I'll be healed. Immediately when she touched him, 
the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him, so he, he turned around and asked the crowd, the crowd asked, who touched my robe? So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And just like we've heard so many times, any time God asks a question, it's not that he does not know the answer. Jesus knew before the day ever began what all was going to transpire that day. Nothing was a mistake. Nothing was a coincidence. He knew she was going to touch him. He knew exactly who touched him. And, but he asked, who touched my robe? And this, you know, took me right back to, you know, it says that she was, she was, a, you know, she, it's, she was scared to say something, you know, to admit it at first. And in, in the sixth grade, my math teacher scared me so bad. Number one, because math scared me so bad. And my teacher, I'm not going to say her name because she might be watching and I don't want her to think I'm, you know. But anyway, I did like her, but she did scare me. Anyway, so she was in a particularly terrible, frightening mood that day and she was really, really yelling at us, okay? And we were all out in the hall in a line. I do not know why I thought I had to say something. Oh, my gosh. We were standing in a line, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I said, she is in a bad mood today. You know, just like under my breath, like barely, I barely said it. I mean, I barely let the, the voice say it. And she spun around, and her eyeballs were so big. And I was like, she said, she said what? Like she heard somebody say something. She didn't know who said it but she wanted to know. And I was like, oh, we'll die before I admit I said that. And so I just stood there like this. You know, she probably knew that it was me. But anyway, she did not call me out. But this other girl that was, she did, she was not afraid of her. She said, nobody said anything. And I was like, uh, we're all going to be killed, you know. But anyway, she was like, okay, well, y'all better not be saying anything when I turn around. And I was like, so the girl that said that to her, I was like, oh my God, that was like, she was so brave. But then, the, but the teacher, ooh. So I, as soon as I read this, I thought of my math teacher in the sixth grade and how mad she was when I said that. But hopefully she's not watching. I don't, want any, I don't even want her to know it was me today. But anyway, so he said, who touched me? And so... But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, she was, that, it, she was afraid, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She was probably trembling and just frightened because she felt her body change as soon as she touched him. She felt the healing power enter her body, and it probably made her knees buckle. Like, she knew she was healed immediately. Immediately she knew. So she, she fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So all this is happening. He's trying to get to Jairus' daughter. 
This lady interjects the entire scene, pushes through the crowd, touches his robe, becomes healed. Okay, so it's like so great. Like the little girl's going to be okay. The lady just got healed. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. So they're like, it's too late. I mean, it's too late for her. There's, you've wasted your time. It doesn't matter now. She's gone. She's gone. You might as well just leave him here and come back home. But Jesus overheard. Of course he did. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talithika kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. I, think it, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's really cool that the lady suffered with this illness for 12 long, terrible years, and this little girl was 12 years old. And the Bible states the time frame for each. I just don't think that's in there by accident or coincidence. I don't know what the purpose is, but I do know that Jesus's timing was just right on both of these things. You know, the man that was born blind, you know, so many people questioned, like, what, what did his parents do? Like, what sin are they hiding? And what, what is causing this? Because, you know, back then, a lot of times, like, if, if adults couldn't have children or, you know, if somebody was born crippled or something, it was because of sins of the family or that, you know, things had come on the family because of, of things like that. But he was blind from birth so that the glory of God could be seen through him. And I believe that the little girl was allowed to die so that she could be resurrected, so that God could be glorified. And Jesus did not want everybody to know about, his, about this at this time um, because a lot of things, you know, were being set up to fulfill why he was here. And all that stuff was in the works. And, and um, right before this happened, there was a guy that he, you know, cast a demon out. And, and the man was like, I want to follow you. I want to go everywhere you go. I'm going with you. And he was like, no, go back home and tell everybody what God has done for you. You know, so Jesus was very strategic and very, um, he, knew, he knew that certain people needed to hear this. And it, it wasn't time for everybody to know everything yet. Um, that's hard for us sometimes in our life when we're ready, we're ready to do something or say something or talk about something, 
But if you're trying to be led by the Holy Spirit and it's not time yet or it's, it's not, um, God is like saying, no, not yet, not yet. You, sometimes you start going, why? Why does everybody else get to do this? Or why does it look like everybody else is doing just fine and my world is falling apart? Or I'm not getting the break that I feel like I've worked really hard to get. You know, why can't I find somebody that wants to be with me when I'm surrounded by couples? Why can't I have kids when everybody around me are having kids? Why am I failing in this class when all my friends seem to be passing so easy? I used to ask that question a lot. And I, I mean, you know, just whatever it is in your life, a lot of times if you start comparing yourself with other people, it's going to look like you're coming up short every time. But if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you stay in your lane and you run in your race, that's where we're, we're called to do that. We're called to honor God and glorify the name of Christ with our life in all circumstances. When the chips are down and when everything's going just right, it, you, your life with Christ should not look any different. You should be honoring him with your life in the good and the bad because nobody's going to listen to the perfect story where somebody's never had any heartache, never had any trouble, never seen any dark times. I mean, how, how can you even relate to that? But we, we all want to pretend like everything is fine all the time. That's bull. It's not fine all the time. How can God get glory by being the one that mends our heart and gets us up when we feel like we can't get up if we've never been open to share that with anybody. If nobody's ever seen anything we've ever been through, how do they know how good God is? So that kind of made me start thinking a, a little bit about um, the 23rd Psalm. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read the first four verses of this. Um, you know, it, David wrote this. He was a shepherd, so this kind of, you know, he's using that kind of the thought of, of a shepherd and all that. But there's a, I think there's more of a meaning than just David writing this about God. You know, I think that we, we can relate this to our own lives. Um, it says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. He's a shepherd, but the Lord is his shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The rod was like a walking stick. And the staff is like, you know, like a shepherd's hook. And the shepherd uses that to get the sheep back. You know, they're wandering around, wandering off, you know, like kids or us, you know, do all the time. So, like, they pull them back. You know, if something, you know, something comes up to try to hurt one of, one of the sheep in the flock, he can help protect them with his rod. Okay, so he's comparing God to this, to being our shepherd. He's our shepherd. His rod and his staff protect and comfort me. He walks with me 
through the darkest valley. You know, um, I always heard it growing up, um, the valley of the shadow of death. And I was thinking about, you know, um, a lot of you know me really well, know a lot about my story and know that, you know, I, I surrendered my heart to Christ when I was about 12. And then, you know, I kind of got out there and was like, okay, I got this, you know, when I was about 18 and quickly realized I did not have it at all. And so, um, um, but in that, it's like, I felt like I was kind of in, I was thinking about spiritual, when we're spiritually dead, we don't have Christ. When we're spiritually alive, we do have Christ. But we're, we're sometimes when we're like, I know what I'm doing, I've got this, we're kind of skirting on the shadows of the death life line, you know, like we got it, but we need Christ and we know we need Christ. And, and that was true for me when I kind of made um, some really bad decisions in my late teen years, early adulthood life. And I realized that the Holy Spirit was still stirring my heart through all that time. And it was like, I've got this, I've got this. And that, that staff would pull me back just enough for me to know that he was there and then I would do it again. You know, sometimes more blatant than others. Sometimes it was like my heart was straying a little bit, you know. And, but I never, ever one time thought that God left me or that he didn't love me, or why is this happening? I was well aware of why everything was happening. It was because of me. But, um, you know, a lot of times we want to blame God, but it's because of decisions we have made. We have put ourselves back in death's shadow. We have put ourselves in times of confusion and heartache. And then there are other times in life when, you know, we feel blindsided because we're, you know, seemingly, and, and we're doing our best to honor God, and we... We, for me, have repented and we want to honor God with our life and we are trying to do what we know we're supposed to do. And it's not an, an obligation thing. It's an honor and a privilege to walk in the freedom that was given to us. And once you realize that, and it's not a check the box kind of thing, it's so freeing. You realize the joy that comes in surrender. It's not like, oh, I give up, whatever. It's like, no, I, I want to surrender to you. I want to fall into you because you alone are trustworthy. You alone can guide me. You alone can mend my broken heart and set me back on the right path. And... um. Sometimes when, like Jairus, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. Jairus was a teacher of God's word, a believer. I'm sure he had faith in Christ. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just have faith. Walk near to me, no matter what the circumstances look like, take heart because I'm with you. 
These are all things that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me over the years. And today, when I was preparing this, I was just going to stop with that. And thank goodness I was home by myself because I was talking to myself and I'm glad nobody heard me. But um, So I, I started thinking, um, I guess the Holy Spirit was saying, okay, keep going. You know, you can't stop right there because if, if glory is brought to me because of your pain, then you have to talk about your pain. So people don't just see you, they see me, you know. And I was like, everybody knows my story. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about stuff I don't want to talk about, you know. <laughs> so um, I even said out loud, I don't want to do this. I'm, I don't want to do this. And I texted Connie. I was like, look. Here's my scripture, and I feel like I need to give you something else, but I'm not ready to. I've got to think about it for a little bit. And she's probably thinking, oh, great, take all the time you need, you know. And so I was like, I promise I will get back with you in just a few minutes, I promise. So I, I did the only thing I knew to do after I said, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I just started praying, um, and I just said, okay, this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And if you don't, you be sure and let me know. So I'm going to send this to Connie just in case, but it's okay if you change your mind because I'm fine with it. I'm not going to be mad at all, I promise, you know. So I guess, okay, so when I was saying about, you know, Jairus being a, a man that knew the scripture and you know, maybe he didn't do anything to deserve, you know, his daughter being so sick or having to leave her in her sickness, not knowing if she was going to make it till he got back, but to go look for Jesus. You know, that, think about that. He, those last few minutes, he, he left, you know. And so Jesus said, don't worry, just have faith. Sometimes, when things happen, when we, we are trusting in Jesus and we do feel like everything's going right and we're not rebelling openly, living in rebellion to God and you're sucker punched, you know, by things that are out of your control. And anyway... So that happened to me and Joe and our family. And I have a picture. <laughs> okay, so this is our son, Mitchell. And I did not want to put this picture up here. But... Um, thank you, Connie. Um, you can put the other one up. Um, so, I, 
when stuff happens, like Jairus, or us, or Kenny and Kasia, and Cassidy, or any of you who've been through anything. It doesn't have to be a death of somebody that's close to you. It can be, you know, you, you try to stand up for what you believe in and you're slammed for it. Or, you know, something happens in your life that you're not ready for. If you do not have a foundation in Christ, it will crush you because you don't have the hope that you need that will pull you back up because hope is not a feeling and hope is not an emotion. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. And Kenny cannot save you. Your parents cannot save you. Your church cannot save you. They cannot make your relationship with God strong. That comes from you surrendering, really surrendering, not signing a card and thinking you're fine. Surrendering your heart and your life so that when things happen in life, whether they're really bad or they're just like, oh, today's Monday, you know, you're not alone. And your hope is not based on what somebody told you. You know that you have got a firm foundation and that God will never leave you and that he clings to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You know those things because you have that living word implanted in your heart and the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That is how you keep going because I'm telling you, if things have been perfect so far, that is awesome, but it that's not how it's going to keep being. I'm sorry. It's just not because we live in a broken world. But it's not like all gloom and doom and bad. It, it's, it's incredible and amazing that we have been rescued. That God sent Christ to redeem our hearts back to him. That is amazing. That is what makes all this good news instead of, well, that was terrible and sad. It's not terrible and sad. It, it shows that God brings beauty from ashes and he makes the most darkest, most terrible night shine like the sun because the light that you have inside, no man, no circumstances, nothing can ever put that light out because it doesn't, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. And I have one final set of verses that I did not give Connie until I got here tonight, <laughs> Connie. Um, but um, it's second, I didn't get it until I got here tonight. So, I mean, I, I don't know what, what to say about that. But it's Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Um, Paul is talking here. You know, Paul, bless him, he went through so much as a soldier of Jesus. And we're like, oh, if I was put in prison... I would be like that too. I hope you're right, but, you know. Um, I mean, I get upset if my nail polish gets nicked when I try to open my car door after getting my nails painted. So, I mean, I don't know, but, okay. So, 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. This is, he's, he's writing, of course, a letter, but this is something that we can take heart in. We, we can cling to this. This is for us. This is not just a letter from Paul way back when. This is, this is God's word to us. Take this in. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power, our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And um, I'm going to skip down to verse 16. That is why we never give up. This is us. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That puts a little bit of perspective for me on a bad Monday or people talking about me. Or I'm just not the personality type that clicks with somebody else. There's, I, I have that personality. You either like me or you're pretty much repelled by me, okay? I mean, I get it. I don't mean to be like that. That's just who I am. And so that used to really bother me. Like, God, why did you make me like this? I want to be very meek and quiet and live in the library and make straight A's. That's who I want to be. I'm going to be like that starting Monday. Every Monday, I tried to be like that. By PE, I knew it was not me. I mean, I just did. And so I've had to accept God made me, me. If you don't like that, that's okay. It really is. It takes everybody to get everything done in the body of Christ, and that's amazing. And so when things go awry in your life, you didn't get the parents you should, you should have got. Your parents weren't good to you. You know, your sibling has nothing to do with you. You just, I mean, just fill in the blank. Every story is probably in this room. that I can't even think of everything, but God knows. That's the thing. Just like that lady that touched his robe, that's not in there by mistake. She was not overlooked, even though Jesus was busy doing something else. She mattered just as much as the little girl that was dying. And he stopped and took time with her. And to me, that says he sees us too. When you're going through something that maybe nobody knows about, maybe you have a terrible story you've never told another soul, that's okay. You don't have to tell anybody else because God knows. And he loves you. And he wants to mend your broken heart. And he wants 
you to surrender your heart if you never have. And if you have, and you've kind of let God's word just kind of pass through without making an impact, you don't have to stay like that. It doesn't always have to be that way. I've, I've been like that too. God loves us every day just as much as he did the last. His desire is that we fully trust him and we bring glory to his name by leaning on him and recognizing that we need him. And the world can see that. The world can see a changed heart. They cannot see God's glory by somebody who's trying to pretend like everything's perfect because we all know it's not. I'm going to pray and if you need to talk to anybody, go get them. If you need somebody just to pray with you, just go get them. Nobody's going to think anything weird about you. Nobody. That's what we're here for. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, there is nothing wrong with that. Like, it's not anything to be ashamed of. But when you recognize it, talk to somebody about it so you can get your heart settled on it. And if you just want to sit in your seat and pray, that's fine too. The same power that raised that little girl up And the same power that healed that lady who had been suffering for 12 years and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power lives inside of us if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. Y'all, that's a big deal. That means we really can get through anything because it's not our strength that we have to rely on. We just have to trust him. And don't be afraid and have faith. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Lord, I thank you, God, that even though it is ancient, it's, it's the story of you. It's the story of, of from the beginning of time. God, it is so relevant for us today, and it matters God, your word is alive, your spirit is alive, and you are moving and living and and dwelling among us every day through your people. Lord, I pray right now, God, that you will just stir inside of us, God, thoughts of you and, and your ways and what you would have for us to do, God, that we won't lean on our own understanding, but we will cling to you. Lord, that we won't be afraid of, of all the things that grip us with fear or anxiety or stress or hurt or, God, the world is cruel and we know that, Lord. You are so much bigger than this moment. You're so much bigger than our short lifetime. So I pray that while we're here, We will give you our days, Lord. And we'll give you our good times and our bad times, Lord. And we will just trust in you and just put our faith in you, Lord, and not waver. We love you, Lord. And God, we give you this time. And thank you so much, Lord, for redeeming our hearts, Lord, to you through Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.